It's high time our industry has a nonprofit element to it or some type of an organization that can help support women that are going through these things without brushing it under the rug. Because there were an equal number of women that talked to me about this that have been groped um, at conferences or followed back to their rooms. You've got somebody following you, they see what room you're in. This kind of thing happens and who do you report it to? And are they gonna listen? There are a lot of women that this has happened to and the largest organization in the vacation rental industry has largely turned a cheek to these things happening and to the reports that are happening. Straight Fire is back and no topic is safe from our sites. In our sites this week, we'll be looking at women on the rise to powerful positions in the industry, as well as decoding Airbnb's hot air reports. Joining in the discussion today is a veteran with 20 years of experience in both the tech and the vacation rental world, Director of Marketing and Originations at Nectar, Jessica Singer. As always, we have our co-host, Regional Director of Business at V-Trips, Miriam Ramsey. Host Stephen Milo is ready to open fire on these topics. Stephen, when you're ready, take no prisoners. Hey, thank you, Heather. Appreciate it. Uh, welcome to the first episode in 2024 of Street Fire VR. And I'm pleased to have uh, Jessica Singer with us and uh, Miriam Ramsey, our uh, co-host. So welcome, Jessica. Welcome, Miriam. And uh, we're going to get right into uh, quite a bit of new news. Um, so just a couple weeks ago, Expedia announced their uh, earnings report for fourth quarter. Uh, in general, it was pretty good, but then there was a bit of a surprise announcement that the CEO, Peter Kern, would be uh, effectively stepping down um, and he would be replaced uh, with the CEO in waiting, Arian Gorin, who uh, was has been with the company for quite some time. So Jessica, I'm, I'm curious uh, your thoughts about um, that move and if you know Arian or if you know anything about her reputation at Expedia. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, uh, you know, just thinking back to last year, I remember the mention that he was going to be stepping down. So it was kind of everybody waiting with bated breath to see who the replacement was going to be. I don't know her. Um, I haven't met her yet. Um, but of course, I'm always going to be an advocate for a woman stepping into a, you know, a much larger role within an organization. So it's it's fantastic to see the industry moving in that direction more and more. So, so Miriam, um, you know, Expedia certainly has seen a bit of a rally uh, from their uh, from about six months ago. Uh, their stock is up to about one hundred and thirty five dollars a share um, market cap of about 19 million. Still room to go compared to Airbnb, which is at one hundred billion. That's the thing. The race. Everybody's trying to get to that mark. We are knocking on doors. Everybody's being, I feel like, an advocate for who's going to be the next Airbnb. Who's going to knock the, the king off the throne? I think they're they're making headways. We'll see. I don't think it'll be this year, um, but I definitely think 2025 will be a, a different year for most OTA markets for us. Well, Jessica, I'm just curious because. It's been kind of a mixed situation for Expedia, right? So I, I would say that Peter Kern came in and, and, and cleaned up kind of a mess. You know, there was a mess that was left over from um, the previous CEO. 
And he came in right in the middle of uh, COVID. And uh, the thing he did, which, you know, clearly Barry Diller was um, supportive of, was really reduce and trim expenses. Uh, there was a lot of bloated expenses at Expedia. Uh, he did some brand consolidation um, and then uh, obviously rolled out one key. And um, and then uh, this whole initiative to try to consolidate VRBO into uh, Expedia. But I'm curious, Jessica, if you've seen any significant increase either on the Expedia channel or Verbo, because from uh, VTrip standpoint, we actually saw a pretty significant drop in VRBO revenue in, in 2023. Yeah, and I think, didn't they report a revenue drop too, Verbo last year. So, I mean, I, I think in general, as we've started to focus more on direct bookings and less on these channels that are out there, I think we're going to continue to see that more and more. And you are absolutely right. He did step into a little bit of a, I don't know, kind of a firestorm getting through like that pandemic, moving through that era. Um, I don't think anybody in any leadership position in this industry in particular um, had a really great time during the pandemic. So I think he did a really great job while he was there. Um, but I definitely I, I definitely think we're going to start seeing more and more of a decrease in reliance on a lot of these different channels, Airbnb and Expedia. There's just, I mean, there's a whole slew of them. And I, I just think that as managers become more and more educated, um, I think that their reliance on these channels just decreases. I agree. I think the reputation management from having the direct bookings and being able to control that and what your your platform is, is huge. Well, I, I do think also there were a lot of new property managers and certainly rent by owners that came into the market. In some cases, they came into the market on a single platform. Uh, a lot came in on Airbnb. Some came in on VRBO. But I think anyone who is going to actually make it in the industry uh, has clearly understood that they have to have a diversified uh, marketing uh, channel. And and that, as Jessica said, direct business is a big part of it. So I was at the IMN conference in Miami. And once again, um, kind of shocked by uh, some of the basic questions of how do you create your own website? So uh, have you seen some of this, Jessica, in your capacity where you're 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 interacting with people who seem like they have quite a few properties, but they don't even have their own direct website yet. Uh, we see it all the time. You know, I am director of marketing over at Nectar, and you know, we provide financing for real estate owners and operators. And the super interesting part of it is when we do have those inexperienced operators come our way that are only reliant upon Airbnb. They don't have a website. They don't have a diversified portfolio. And here we are working with real estate owners that have diversified portfolios. They are working in the multifamily space. They have long-term, short-term, mid-term, you name it. And then we run across these you know, hosts that might own one or two properties, and then they just run a portfolio with you know, 50 to 100 listings that they're managing solely on Airbnb. It, it just boggles my mind. I have an Airbnb that I you know, run of my own, and it's actually it's a nightmare to, to run it just on Airbnb. It, you know, like I would much rather just have my own website when I start to revamp my actual listing. I haven't actually listed it in many years. I'm too busy with work to actually manage it anymore. But 
back when I did it, it was really not fun to manage it solely through Airbnb. And I just can't imagine managing 50 plus or honestly, even 10 plus properties on one single platform. Well, the thing that's interesting, um, talking to some of these uh, asset uh, companies, companies that came in and purchased assets and then built up a little bit of a operational marketing group is they weren't even aware that property management systems existed that could do a lot of the heavy lifting. So um, Miriam, I, I know when when you first got into the business, you were working with uh, Escapia, but could you imagine trying to do everything on a on you know off of an uh, Airbnb host uh, or super host status in your market? It, it, it would just it would just be a disaster. It would be actually. And what's funny is I know an individual who has 14 units, very nice units that he does strictly just on Airbnb. He does. He does not have any software. I ran into him last week and he was, has hired someone to help him just deal with that. Instead of getting a software to go through or do any of that, he is spending exponential amount of money to hire someone. And I left. I mean, this guy is very educated has very nice units, but trying to manage that, I would lose my mind. I mean, I couldn't imagine trying to be in his shoes and doing that kind of income on one platform, doing it individually. But people do it every day and they think that they are, they're killing it. They're the rock stars. You know, they're making these TikToks and these episodes of how to get, you know, how to do this vacation. And like we're sitting here talking about, they are doing it without a system, without direct bookings on one platform. Well, uh, I think we're going to see a lot of change there because, uh, you know, we're going to have Jason Sprinkle on in a couple episodes and um, we're still seeing a lot of economic headwind um, for the U.S. market, at least. ADR is continuing to drop, length of stay continuing to drop. And the booking window shrinking, all of which um, make it a much more tricky environment to operate in, particularly if you're just dependent on one channel. So, um, Jessica, are are you spending any time with your clients trying to get them uh, not only just to have a direct website, but also to do pay-per-click? Because that's one of the areas we are seeing um, quite a bit of opportunity right now as Expedia has pulled back on their marketing. And to date, Airbnb has not really been a player with Google paid click. Yeah. I mean, I think just as we're talking about diversifying your opportunities from where you're listing, it's also equally as important to diversify your marketing. Uh, you know, you can't just put all your eggs in one basket. You really need to kind of spread the wealth out a little bit and see what works. And, you know, I think every market has certain things that work really well and certain things that just don't work really well. And one thing that I do have to say about, you know, some of these operators that are operating solely dependent on Airbnb or Verbo or, or whatever channel it is, you don't know what you don't know, right? And so if you're only managing on Airbnb, you don't really know what you're missing. But there are a lot of professionals out there that have been doing this for a long time that will tell you, you're missing out. You're leaving a lot of money on the table if you are only banking on one channel. And if you're only banking on one marketing channel, it's the same thing. It doesn't matter actually what industry you're in. If you're only focused on one single marketing channel, you're just missing opportunity. Yeah, Miriam, I know you were really happy with the guest we had last season, uh, Ben Edwards, who is in love with the Verbo channel. 
But, you know, that's a case in point where Verbo clearly pulled some of their marketing spend in uh, 2023 as they're, you know, continuing to do this integration with um, Expedia parent company. And, you know, you've got to make that revenue up somewhere. And it's very, very difficult if you don't have other OTAs. Uh, I'm sure you've seen how Booking.com has increased uh, in the Gatlinburg Pigeon Forge market and, and of course, Airbnb. I'm not saying don't use them. I'm just saying don't just use one channel. Use all of them and then have a robust direct site. And I think that's also for the consumer. You know, I think they need to use different sites to book on as well. And I think, you know, we focus a lot on where we're getting the bookings and pushing that. But as a consumer, switching it up, going from Expedia to booking to Airbnb, making sure really you're getting the best bang for the buck, right? Both sides, both parties need to express and, and complete that part as well. Well, we're going to talk about another company we all love, and uh, that's Airbnb. So <laughs> Airbnb... Uh, just uh, released their uh, Q4 uh, earnings, which effectively were their year end. And um, it was a little bit better than the market expected. Uh, the stock has climbed to a 52-week high, almost of $156 a share as of this recording, which is about $100 billion. So each of those partners that founded Airbnb are worth about $10 billion each. And um, some things, though, which I was surprised because I do listen to analysts and um, yeah, listen to a couple podcasts that talk about Airbnb. Not everything is rosy, right? So one thing that came out was their ADR was slowing down to less than 1%. No surprise to anyone on this, um, on this podcast, right? We've seen ADR drop, particularly in the U S market. So that's not a surprise. Um, They've also are starting to see supply decrease. Again, not a surprise in the U.S. market where interest rates have gone up. Um, it's been difficult for banks to lend money, and uh, the sale of properties has really slowed down. So, not a supply, not a surprise that supply has dropped or is decreasing. Um, but they're masters at spin, and so their spin was well. We're going to go ahead and, and focus on South America and Asia and Europe. So, uh, Jessica, I, I, I'm i sure you love hearing about Airbnb because they're just so great at spin. But it, it just seems like the U.S. market, there's no way to, to disguise the fact that the U.S. market is definitely decreasing. Uh, decrease in 2023 looks like 2024 again. Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned that too, because I was reading their, you know, kind of their whole annual report. And when I was reading through it, I was like, yeah, they they really, they, like whoever is writing these updates, they are very masterful at putting the positive spin. And I mean, honestly, I think any company is going to do that. You're always going to put the positive spin on it. I don't, I don't care what company you are. You're always going to do that. But Airbnb in particular uh, I noticed the same thing, Steve. So I thought it was funny that you mentioned the supply growth rather across the regions, all this like expansive growth in Asia Pacific and Latin America, but like very little, if at all, mention of the US. And it's really because from an education standpoint in America, we have focused predominantly on a direct booking strategy. And I think most of the largest managers out there have this nailed. 
there is going to be growth. You still are going to have, you know, new hosts joining the platform. I know plenty of, you know, friends of mine who are, I'm going to, you know, launch my property and be a new Airbnb host. And I'm trying to school them on, don't put all your eggs in that one basket. But it is very fascinating to me that they kind of just like slipped through without a very large mention at all of the decrease in growth in the U.S., I think it's a testament to the education that our industry is is bringing and people are listening. Well, Miriam, um, I, I don't know if it's slowed down in, in your market, but certainly it's it's certainly leveled off, right? Airbnb was on a tear and and looked like every single quarter or year they were gaining market share. And all the data we have at VTrips is uh, that Airbnb has leveled off in almost every single one of our markets. And, um, you know, if I'm a shareholder, I'd be looking at where the future is as opposed to what the past was. Yeah, no, it, it really has here. Talking to other PMs, you know, and even individuals coming off of Airbnb um, just because, you know, of everything that they hold test to their guests, clientele, whatever, right? Having that extra support going in, renting a house and then getting zero money back or whatever you want to call it, getting the extra damages where they don't want to pay out because they don't want their guests upset. People are coming off the platform. So I think we'll continuously see that decrease in a lot of markets. Tennessee's already, I talked in the past two weeks, I've talked to four other PMs that are actually on Airbnb platform. Well, I mean, the problem with Airbnb is um, they are not a supplier-friendly company. They clearly are a guest-centric company. Um, and that works when there's far more demand um, than supply. Now, with 7.7 million <laughs> listings, they have a lot of supply. And um, it appears that demand is leveling off. I'm a little skeptical of their ability to penetrate Asia, particularly since uh, China has their own internal brands and Agoda has a really stronghold over uh, the Asia market. Same in um, Latin America. I know they're talking about Brazil, but there's companies that have been entrenched down there for a while. So it's not so simple to just open up shop and and, and generate uh, revenue. But I, but I think the question I have is, um, Jessica, as you start to talk to host and as they start to kind of discuss their challenges with airbnb which is you know clearly an unfriendly channel i mean it's got um it, it's got you know caseworkers it's got uh, policies that are very very uh anti-supply um are you hearing you know some of your clients say look i mean this 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 site is a problem for us because they can use extenuating circumstances to cancel one of our stays at, at almost no notice. And they, they tend to take the guest's side on just about every issue, unless you just have cameras all over the, the place, which of course Airbnb says you can't have. <laughs> and then you run into all sorts of, you know, legal issues because of that. Yeah. I mean, I, I think there's something to be said for, you know, Airbnb is kind of that, like, I don't know, they're kind of a redheaded stepchild in a way, double-edged sword, you know, whatever the analogy is. 
you kind of, you can't live without them. You can't live with them. You know, I remember the day when they were very focused on the property manager and the property owner. And, you know, several years ago that pivoted with their focus being more on the guest, you know, the guest is their customer and they hold the guest data hostage. And, you know, I feel like a lot of managers rely on them specifically because they feel handcuffed without them. Um, And it's really, I think just because they don't have a super solid marketing plan in place uh, they don't know what to do without them. They don't know where to go, uh, you know, aside from, you know, the large shops in town. I think they just don't necessarily know how to do it without Airbnb because they are such a large platform and they have such a presence. But it is very clear they do not have the host's best interest in mind, not not even remotely. So, Miriam, I have a question for you. So one of the things that Airbnb announced was, they're working to make stays less expensive and they're introducing tools to their hosts to compare prices so that they can drop their rates. And they're encouraging hosts not to charge a cleaning fee. Um, you know, given, given uh, I, company, go ahead, tell us what your opinion of that is. I mean, they're so stupid. I mean, what, like, I just have never, I feel like someone lays in bed at night and just dreams up the dumbest shit. And it's like, oh, this is what we're going to do. We're going to say we're not charging a cleaning fee, but, but guess what? We're going to tack it in on the beginning of the reservation into the rent, you know, or we're going to charge the, the host, you know, an extra 3% multiple times. There, there's always the fees. And I think that's the biggest thing. And people don't understand. There are always going to be the standard fees, whether it's on a book direct website or an Airbnb platform that try to hide it and put it in everything else. That's what I, I think that's the biggest thing where us as property managers need to disclose and let everyone know. They say there's not a fee. There's a fee. Where it's hidden, 100%. Where it's hidden, who knows? I mean, where are they going to shove it to us this day? Oh, they're so stupid. I mean, look, and you're right. It's a double-edged sword. I love them, and I don't know. That's incorrect. I think it's a great platform. It used to be a much better platform than what it is now. Let's just say that. Well, no cleaning fee works if you ask the guests to clean the property, which I guess some hosts are doing. (laughs) <laughs> to this day. Oh, I I love those uh, Facebook groups, those Airbnb groups that are full of people that are just new at this and they'll post the picture of like, am, am I, should I do this? Should I ask the Airbnb guests to, to clean the residence before they leave? And I mean, it's just like, I'm sitting there with popcorn and, you know, soda watching the comments section because they're just going to get absolutely roasted. No, you don't make your guests clean the property. You just charge them a cleaning fee. So we have a a thread, and you're right. So I said it on Facebook, I guess last night, it's uh, on Severable Space. Anyways, it says, would you check into a rental that was cleaned by the prior guest? And And people were just like, if it takes fees away, yes. And I'm like, this is not happening. I mean, but that's where we are, you know? Well, I... It's hard to build a brand Airbnb if you're going to have inconsistent cleaning standards. And if you're encouraging your hosts not to charge a cleaning fee and to lower prices, um, it seems like you're going to be left with um, less sophisticated operators. So I, I just think it's going to be, I think there'll be a really interesting case study in five to 10 years on, on Airbnb because, you know, 
they had so many so much opportunity clearly so much money behind them and yet what they did is they seemed to double and triple down on their original idea which is um shared housing uh stay local which means renting in neighborhoods where vacation rentals shouldn't be and really focusing in on you know amateur um people who are who are doing this kind of as a side gig and i i just I think one of the problems that that is going to continue to occur is their brand um, gets tarnished by, you know, bad experiences of of the traveler, and and they'll stop using Airbnb and start using uh, more sophisticated platforms like Booking or Verbo or going direct to property managers as they have these horrendous experiences. Did you see the one where um, the uh, the Airbnb host released camera? camera footage to uh the wife of the oh, guest stay there i did the guest like had posted a really negative review and so you know as a thank you for the negative review he posted a picture of the guy with some other woman is that the one you're talking about yeah it was unbelievable <laughs> i was like okay there's a win that's a win for airbnb i love it yeah so um we're uh, as much as we'd love to talk about Airbnb. Uh, there's always another episode, so we're going to go ahead and pivot to something that happened well, about a month ago, and um, it's a it's something where a lot of us started to get messages, probably around January 13th, which was a Saturday, and we were alerted to what at that point was an Instagram video where there was a um, a woman who clearly was, uh, because she posted pictures, she was a victim of domestic assault. And the reason why this became a vacation rental story is that uh, the person she was accusing of um, the assault was somebody who was an executive and partner at a vacation rental company. Um, the company is now uh, being reported as Casago. So I kind of want to just kind of peel this back because there was initially – a lot of people just communicating by direct messages and text to each other. And um, I wanted to first start with you, Jessica, when did you hear about this and how many texts were you getting on this? Man. Um, yeah, it was around January 13th um, when I first, maybe even a day or so before um, that I had heard about it. And I don't, I mean, countless hundreds of text messages exchanged quite honestly um, Instagram messages, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a pretty outspoken person in the industry. I know a lot of people I've worked with a lot of vendors over the years. Um, and I've built a great rapport and, and I will preface this with saying, I, I also built a great rapport with, uh, you know, the person accused and I, it's, it's a very interesting situation. Um, but yes, hundreds of messages, hundreds of, uh, you know, back and forth videos, um, evidence to support, you know, the, the person who was accused, um, you know, having a history of, of some of these things that he was being accused of. Well, Miriam, I, I'm curious, cause I mean, obviously, um, Heather and I, um, started to read this information we had met both people um in person uh so we knew both of them uh not you know as well as others but we knew them um 
when when did you become aware of this, Miriam? And and was it by text on that Saturday, the thirteenth? And and how many texts were you getting about this situation? So I it was around that day, um, a lot to be quite honest. Um, I met her briefly um, last fall. Um, met him a couple of times. Um, I caught around seven. I actually was at a wedding and turned my phone off um, just because my phone started going crazy um, and just different things, you know, the pokes getting sent the post um, and then everyone saying, you know, is this true? Can you believe this? You know, what's the stand from, you know, people going to be, you know, and just different things, honestly, uh, really probably want to start out with, you know, definitely sorry to her that, you know, that she had to go through this. Um, you know, us as a platform, us as women, you know, these are things that happen that that really get swooped under the table, right? Um, you, you hear these things, but it never truly comes out. Um, with it, when people are in this, the group status that this male individual is, right? Most of the time it would have never came out. You know, for us as women, um, and even for Stephen, the platform that you share with this, you know, talking about it and letting people know, hey, this is not okay. You know, supporting individuals, because this can not only happen to, you know, a man doing this to a woman, but, you know, the same sex with it versus each other, right? So we have to stand in an agreement that, you know, this is completely unacceptable behavior regardless, you know? Yeah, so... um you know, I, I, I kept getting a lot of messages throughout the week and I had, um, a, a lot from women, um, clearly, uh, who were really, uh, upset about the situation. And some of the frustration was that nobody would, uh, make this public, you know, that there was just a lot of stuff being privately texted to people. Um, but no one would make it public. And the thing that I had heard from several women was they were just scared of retaliation. And I, Jessica, you know, I, I think that's a valid concern. And I know um, Vanessa D'Souza um, later talked about this, but I mean, I, I think there's reasons why people were initially afraid to to come out and post about this. Yeah. I mean, you know, look, all those years ago that this happened to me, I left the state, you know, I mean, I was afraid of retaliation too. I, I had to leave the state that I grew up in to get away. And I think when you are entrenched in an industry and you have all of these relationships that you've built and we all go to conferences and we see each other and it's, you know, this like very quaint, unique industry, but very different from any other industry I've ever been a part of. The vacation rental industry is a very tight knit, small community and, and people talk, um, but the retaliation and the fear of that, I mean, it's very real for the victim. Um, it's very real for the people in, you know, the victim or the accusers orbit. Um, you know, what am I going to be sued for? Am I, is somebody going to come back and send me a cease and desist because I said the wrong thing? Um, and I think it's important to remember you know, there's an accuser and there's an accused. And we don't know what happens behind closed doors. Very clearly something happened to her. And, say, you know, it's kind of similar to what Miriam said. Like, I am so sorry for what happened to her. 
um, you know, whatever caused it, whoever caused it, I'm very sorry for that situation. It's, it's really, really terrible. And to feel like somebody's going to retaliate or a company will retaliate or to feel because there've been so many other conversations I've had regarding this subject there. Like, I'm just going to put this out there right now. This doesn't just happen to women. This happens to men. I had four men reach out to me after my LinkedIn post that just kind of brought light to it. Like we can't brush this under the rug. I'm not accusing anybody of anything, but this is just on multiple levels. Not okay. There were men that came to me that I've known for years that have said, you know, I have been abused. Like I've been physically assaulted by a woman, you know, or by a, a you know, male relationship. Um, so it's not just women that this happens to it's men. And I, I think it's high time. Our industry has a, I don't know, some nonprofit element to it or, or some type of an organization that can help support women that are going through these things without brushing it under the rug. Because there were an equal number of women that talked to me about this that have been groped or, you know, kind of, I don't, maybe a different term like manhandled um, at conferences or followed back to their rooms. You know, look, we're traveling, we're women, you know, and men, and we're going to our room across a very large, you know, I don't know, conference center. And you've got somebody following you, they see what room you're in this kind of thing happens and who do you report it to and are they going to listen because from my understanding there are a lot of women that this has happened to and i, I mean i'm just going to say it the largest organization in the vacation rental industry has largely turned a cheek to these things happening and to the reports that are happening and they're getting reports about it they have for years but you don't ever hear anything about it you don't ever see a resolve and maybe those resolves are happening and we just don't know about it I don't know. Who am I hear? Well, because realistically, you have that bro code, as I call it, yeah. that all the guys are going to stick together, regardless to what happens. And I mean, look, we're seeing it now, even with this, a ton of the, the male individuals around this platform have said nothing. Again, the bro code, it, I, you hear it in college or in high school, you know, all the guys are going to stick together. It's, it's the same now as it was 20 years ago when I was in high school, right? And I think and you're completely right. We have to stand together and we have advocacies for everything. And this is something as a platform. And look, and I'm going to take Steve, you know, when I was hearing about it, you know, I had a conversation with him, you know, was he probably the best person to put it out there? Who really knows? But I will say more respect. And I had a ton of messages after he did post on it. You know, may not like what we talk about on the podcast, may not like, you know, what we do or what we say on the Casa, Airbnb, it didn't matter. But the platform, the huge respect that people took from him in his position saying something, you know, kudos to Steve for stepping up and not being in with the bro code and saying, hey, guys, this is not OK. What's happening here? Yeah. yeah. So what Miriam mentioned is. um on January 19th, because I felt there had been plenty of time for some other people to post, I went ahead and posted an article on LinkedIn that's still up there and has had uh, 15,000 views called Silence on the VR Domestic Assault and the Bro Code. Um, and I, I wrote an article 
Um, and then a lot of people commented. Um, and that kind of broke this open um, because people commented on that. Um, and you should read the comments. There's people that um, are, you know, that have come out and, and publicly um, at this point felt comfortable to come out publicly and, and make their comments known. Um, I, I guess I, I'm going to just read a couple of things um, that I, I think are important because what Miriam said about the bro code, um, Vanessa DeSouza echoed. So I'm going to just read what she posted and it's still on, on that article. Um, thank you for this as a, vic a victim of domestic abuse myself. I can tell you that the abuser will do anything to silence the abused. As for the business world, most stand on the side of the powerful, the C-level, the investor, the founder, the money, and the influence guy. The man who beat me up and was convicted to 10 months in jail still has 500 common LinkedIn connections with me, still appears on stage, still goes to conferences, still is in business. How is this even possible? Would you do business with a convicted abuser? I fully understand why women don't stand up. I have myself suffered life-changing consequences for not shutting up, and my legal battles are not finished. Yet it is our moral duty to challenge this silence. What happened to us should be known, not hidden away, so that we can address the systematic issue of gender violence openly and honestly. Um, Jessica, when you read that, what 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 was your what did you think? I mean, my heart goes out to Vanessa. You know, I remember when all of that kind of hit the the you know main channels, and everybody was talking about that several years ago. And I remember seeing the pictures of her and just sending her a message and letting her know privately, you know, that I I support her. And you know, I don't know her very well. She was one of my partners many years ago at a you know one of my old businesses that I had worked at, and. I adore her and it just breaks my heart to think that anybody is experiencing this. And I, I think more than anything in any industry, it's our job to make sure that employees at organizations have, you know, the education and training that they need. So they know what to do when they encounter something like this, whether it's an employee or a coworker, or, I mean, you just, ne you just never know in, in this environment, you're, you know, you encounter guests. We we talk about this, you know, we talk about human trafficking in the industry and, you know, what does a property manager do, you know, to help identify human trafficking that may be happening inside one of your properties that you're managing? Why are we not talking also about what happens when it's one of your employees that's going home every night having this experience? What, you know, what are the advocacy groups for people who are going through this? And it's not our job to place um, I, you know, I, I don't know. It's, it's not our job to be like judge and jury of who did what it's our job to be supportive of the person who was abused, whether it's Vanessa or, you know, the other gal in this, this situation or the, the other women who have also started to come forward to say that they were also treated the same way by this person. It's not our job to, it's not our job to, you know, admonish the person that is being accused of this. It's just our job to support the people who are experiencing the abuse and make sure that they don't feel like they don't have a sounding board, like they don't have a place to go, like they have nobody to talk to and they're just alone. 
Well, Miriam, <clears throat> this incident, which was well documented, I've been provided, you know, what appears to be evidence that the CEO of the company was aware of this, Steve Schwab, back in uh, the middle part of October. Uh, and yet, uh, the uh, accused perpetrator of this was still in, uh, actively employed until about a, until a couple days after my LinkedIn post. And uh, I'll read what he said. Uh, he he is one of the partners at Casago. Um, he's, he said in a LinkedIn post that is still active today, I am writing to address the recent serious allegations that have been made against me I categorically state that these allegations are absolutely untrue and I'm eagerly awaiting the trial process to vindicate my name and reputation. Due to the seriousness of these accusations and the impact they have made, I'm currently on a professional leave of absence so I can focus fully on the legal process and clear my name. Um, you know, given the serious nature of this, I'm not sure why this didn't happen back in October. And then I'm going to compare this to what the um, the victim wrote. And again, it's still up on LinkedIn, um, but it could be taken down at any time. Uh, we're trying to be very careful about the victim here um, uh, because, uh, you know, she suffered a lot. Um, clearly, I mean, there's hospital photos of, of what what the abuse that's happened. So her her uh, part of what she wrote was, I am the woman who finally went public after another victim was brave enough to go public to our abuser's family. It shouldn't have taken me going public for something to actually be done by the company or for our abuser to go on leave. Everyone close to the abuser knew within two weeks of me having my head bashed in. You can't say you are for women and proud of women if you abuse women or cover for someone who abuses. Going through this has only taught me how methodical and evil people are. Uh, the ongoing defamation of my word or the other woman's words only show why women do not come forward with abuse. I appreciate you taking the time to post the right messages for me and all the other women who have ever experienced domestic violence. Um, Miriam, what did you think when you read this? For me, it's really taking back. And, you know, I'm really loud outspoken but for me just I, reading this I had to read it a couple of times just the devastation like I could hear her you know her and our friends on Instagram um and I have listened to her in other videos like and I can hear her voice as you're reading that what she wrote out I mean the heartbreak and and you know she did tell you know other people this and it was just pushed under the rug so for her, and it's sad, right? I mean, it's sad on a multiple levels, but it's sad that she felt the only way for her to be okay was to get do a, an Instagram live and share it that way so other people would see it for her to possibly be okay and for this individual to have repercussions for his actions. You know, for me, not even just as an industry that we're in, but we live in an environment where, again, I'm going to say it, you know, men think that this is okay. They, they hide it. They're going to do whatever they need to do and, or whomever. And look, it's a terrible situation. And for the individuals to have known for months and to push it under the rug, 
if I had any respect, it's gone. And I think that anybody who follows them and, you know, thinks that they're this great person, if you, if they knew this and clearly they did, because we've seen the emails, right? Um, they knew, and yet they still condoned it. They still went to uh, VRMA. They still, you know, held these little retreats and all this other crap and put other people in jeopardy. If this person got upset or, you know, started drinking, because we all have been with this guy when he drinks, um, how he could have hit, hit or done something to someone else. So, so what Miriam's talking about is the responsibility that a chief executive officer um, and other chief officers of a company have for the safety of their workforce uh, and also the integrity of, of their, their company and, and anyone that, you know, interacts with them. Right. So, um, you know, at V trips, I've been in the business since 2006 and um, you know, we have certainly seen stories um, that have come back to us about independent contractors doing um harassment um and even employee harassment we haven't had a domestic violence issue like this uh yet but i will tell you and and miriam um, i'll let you talk about it when somebody calls me on my cell phone um and and normally it's a, a woman um and, and makes, um, you know, wants to talk to me about this. One, I accept her call. And two, the first thing I ask him is, can I talk to HR about this? Um, that's the first thing I say. I'm like, can I take this to the human resource department? Um, are you willing to go on record? Um, and then based on that, I get the HR department involved. And depending on the situation, which we have in the past had to do, the next thing we we might do, if it's serious enough, is hire an independent investigator, right? And depending, again, on how serious things are, we might have to put somebody on leave. So, Miriam, I, you know, I, I know you've seen some of this up in your area, but I mean, I, I, I mean, we take this seriously because there's so many women that work for the company. And if you don't, then it it's very difficult for women to feel that they're able to step forward again if if you ignore them. I think that's the biggest thing is, and not only, you know, it's not only just women, it, it, it's both sides, but it's, you have any, you have to take all of it serious. I mean, and I think that's the biggest thing you have to research. You have to look into it again. This was last October, but also what happened last October and Steve's about to laugh, you know, we weren't concerned with domestic violence. This company wasn't, they were more concerned because we, Steve posted on LinkedIn, something on owner centric. So they had to come at us at all of this craziness and take a stand and tell us to take stuff down. But yet we, you know, the alleged can beat his wife or do hit other individuals, but we don't care about that. Like for me, I think that's the biggest thing. And I think with Jessica, we're sitting here talking about, we don't care about things that, you know, truly, truly matter. You know, you know, being disrespectful, hitting an individual, you know, putting this person in the hospital, victim one, two, and three, you know, that's the biggest thing. This group sat and knew this information 
but was more concerned with us and we're going to post our picture of us in an honor centric t-shirt than they were with domestic abuse. What does that say for this group, Rob? Well, I kind of want to bring it back to a point. I want to ask Jessica about this. I don't know if the right, if this is the right word, but one of the words I think of is hypocrisy that um, I, I kind of got um, to know some people who normally are every day posting something on social media and all of a sudden they became silent and they're normally posting something about, oh, let's work together. Let's elevate the industry. Let's increase standard. Let's work on DEI, et cetera. And then, and now they're silent. Like they are literally silent and it's not because they're silent because they didn't know because I'm emailing them this information. Um, I will publicly say I, I went to VRMA. I uh, sent a lot of information to different officers at VRMA. I was told they had to go through a legal process. Um, but it's not because some people who post a lot on LinkedIn, and I'm talking about uh, men, uh, weren't aware of this. They just decided to be quiet about this. And, and I'm just curious, Jessica, what your thoughts on this are. Yeah, there's a, a phrase that comes to mind that many, many years ago, I had a, when I was going through it, I was going through, I had a teacher that I confided in um, when I was in this really terrible relationship. And she told me, and I'll never forget it. She said, silence is permission. And in my mind, that, that silence is, it's really deafening, isn't it? You know, it's something that we take notice of more than the vocal posts. We're taking note of the quiet crickets that we hear, you know, the, the deafening nature of saying nothing I think is it's really damaging. It's really damaging to really great reputations that people have built in the industry and, you know, as outspoken advocates of this and of that. Um, and I think with them saying absolutely nothing, and I, I, I think I can guess quite a few of the people that you're talking about. Um, I've, I've noticed the same thing. It's, it's very frustrating. You know, I think that when somebody, when somebody comes forward with something of this nature, I think it's our job to advocate for change in the industry and, you know, policies that can support survivors of domestic violence, both within the workplace and in the broader community. I mean, when's the last time you were able to go on a run as a woman by yourself without looking over your shoulder or worried about who's following you? But, you know, we're always getting harassed in some way. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think just to directly answer your question, it's, I just think silence is permission. I think you're giving them permission to continue on the path of destruction, you know, the accused. And I feel bad saying that because you guys, I, I was very, I was friends with the person accused and I don't know what the answer is. I, I don't know if he did these things. I don't know if he didn't do these things. I just know it's not my job to make that decision. And I'm really glad it's not my job to make that decision. Um, and it sucks. It sucks when you feel like you've had a, a good radar in who a good person is, and then you have to question that. It's a tough place. That That's tough. I mean, you nailed it that, with that statement. I mean, that is 
the silence can, you know, and I was like, they condone this behavior, but you're right. We're not the judge. Dis- did this happen? Did it not? What we do know is the allegations are there, but as a group, as a community, we have to have something in place that we know and that we do. This is not okay. And I think that's the biggest thing with all of this. So, so Miriam, I'm, I'm, I'm going to ask you because you know some of the people at Casago. Were you surprised that they haven't come out with a statement that Steve Schwab, who has been pretty public about elevating the industry and and is on LinkedIn a lot and and you know posting all these things, has not come out with a statement at all? Uh, and there's also been obviously a high profile woman, Alex Husner, who uh, you know, publicly stated she left Casago. Why has he been so quiet about this issue, uh, given how large of a, a female workforce he has? You know, that's that's the best. That's the question everyone wants to know is, you know, I've had a lot of interactions with Steve and, you know, from his standpoint prior, it's always been, you know, we need more women CEOs and, you know, supporting this. But it's been crickets. And I will say this, and it is what it is, right? I'm very surprised with him as an individual that he has said nothing. I mean, look, could he say something because that's his business partner? I don't know, right? I'm not that person who, but as a human being, he has said nothing. And I know of at least 15 of his organizations that are just women. Again, nothing has come from them. You know, even if they shed it, you know, put some sort of light on one aspect of something, but nothing. I I can't believe it. But then again, you know, I've not always had the best interactions with Steve. So maybe I can see this as him not saying that. All right. Well, um, I appreciate both of you. This has been a tough conversation, but I think it's an important one. I do think um, as much as we want to talk about DEI, and um, human trafficking, um, preventing violence and harassment against women, considering that women are such a large component of this industry, should be a top priority of a, of a group like the VRMA and, and certainly CEOs throughout the industry. Um, it is not lost on me that um, even though there's a large makeup of women in the industry, a lot of the C-level are still uh, dominated by men, right? So it is certainly something, you know, we can't allow people to be silent about these things. Uh, Just again, you know, go back to what Vanessa said about the power dynamics, which seem to be in play here, right? I mean, I, I know quite a few of these men who virtue signal all the time on LinkedIn and Facebook and have been absolutely radio silent on this issue. And in some cases, they have monetary arrangements with Casago. I mean, it's just flat out um, a conflict of interest. Um, disappointing to say the least, given what they pretended to be their morals. Um, I think people are going to look back on this a year or five years from now. And I think those people who have been silent and were getting monetary consideration for Casago are probably going to be ashamed of, of the fact that they didn't comment about this. I mean, I, I think 
it's one thing, uh, maybe not to take a side, but you certainly should be supportive of uh, a victim of abuse. And it was pretty clear uh, that the abuse happened. But at any rate, um, we're going to end uh, our episode today. I appreciate uh, both Jessica and Miriam being on. For those who want to look at previous episodes of Straight Fire, our website is straightfirevr.com, or you can email us at straightfirevr at gmail.com. Thank you both.